Good to see everybody tonight. I'm thankful for the invitation to be back over here. It's, it's always a great pleasure for me to be uh, where David is. Yeah. He's a good friend. We don't get to spend the kind of time together I think we'd like to spend together, but such is the case when we're busy doing what we need to do. Uh, I'm thankful for your prayers, uh, for this activity and for other activities in addition to that. Uh, I ask you to pray to uh, keep my wife, Ginger. Uh, she's been with me at times in, uh, in coming over here and uh, she's, a, she's a heart patient, but she's usually doing pretty good. And she had a little extra special episode with her AFib and uh, sent us over to the Huntsville Hospital. And we think we're on the mend and uh, you know how it goes with that. You go from one medicine to the next and one treatment to the next. But we were, we were very thankful for the good physicians we have in our area. Of course, we trust the Lord to take care of it. Uh, bring you greetings from the Hob Street congregation. Uh, as, as most of you know, I was over there a long time. And uh, as the local preacher, now I'm just there as a member. And I'm spending my time uh, doing fill-in work and meetings and things like that. And uh, uh, I had a teacher at Freed Hardeman uh, named William Woodson. And Brother Woodson said, uh, uh, when you get to this point in life as a preacher, you just wait for the phone to ring. And when the phone rings, be sure to answer it and to say yes if you possibly can. And that's what I've been doing. And thankful for these opportunities to come and be with you and, and uh, do this kind of work. This, uh, this theme, uh, far, I looked online, you know, I do like this, that means I've been online. So I went online and I saw the theme was Farm Fresh Faith. I don't understand that, but I saw what it is, and I, and I thought it was pretty cool. And those, the things that were up there, that's beautiful. I don't know who did that, those slides, but they're, they're absolutely beautiful. But anyway, uh, I did want to share with you how it is that I've never been involved in agriculture. And the reason for that is my grandfather, Irby, he had a 500-acre river bottom farm in Virginia and he told me one day I was staying up there for a, stay a week with one set of grandparents and a week with another set of grandparents and he said uh, and he was he would he would put you if you saw him you'd think now that's an old version of David Barker <laughs> he's he was tall he was very very slender and uh, so forth. And he said, now, here's the deal. I know you want to drive that truck. I said, yes, sir. I was about 12, 13 years old. He said, you want to drive that truck, don't you? I said, yes, sir. Old farm truck, you know, Chevrolet truck, three-speed on the column, the whole thing. And he said, tell you what, you come with me to the farm tomorrow, and all you have to do is pick up two rows of potatoes. The fellows are going to go out there and, you know, they take the, the device and uh, pop them out of the ground, you know. And then you walk along and you pick them up and put them in carts and so forth like that. And he said, just two rows of potatoes and then the rest of the day you can drive the truck around the farm. 
What kid wouldn't want to go with that deal? So we go out there. What he didn't tell me was that those rows started at the house and went all the way to the river. <laughs> and I looked. It couldn't even, you couldn't even see the end. And so I, he said, and I shake the dirt off of them. And so, because he, he did all this, you know, truck stuff and then took it to town and sold it and so forth. So, so I'm out there. I get through with one row. I start the other row. And, man, it's starting to get dark and everything. And uh, I'm thinking, I, I don't care that much about driving that truck. So I think I drove it around two or three times and that was it. And I, I said, uh, I believe I'll just go to school as opposed to getting this sort of agriculture. Tonight, though, we're talking about faith, and I know you've, you're going to be talking about this all week, and I'm, I'm quite certain that uh, what I've prepared will be repetitive in some fashion or another, but I wanted to start with this quotation from Thomas Carlyle, and he was a, a Scottish philosopher, which co coincidentally, my older son, uh, his wife, Will, Megan, and Lucy, they're in Scotland now. They're over there in a vacation. But Thomas Carlyle was a 19th century Scottish philosopher. He said this, he said, What a man believes and lays to heart and knows for certain concerning his vital relations to this mysterious universe and his duty and destiny there, that is in all cases the primary thing for him and determines all the rest. He said, and let me just repeat it because it was a long quotation, what a man believes and lays to heart and knows for certain concerning his vital relations to this mysterious universe and his duty and destiny there, that in all cases is the primary thing for him and creatively determines all the rest. Now that's a long quotation. Point of fact is, he said, faith is the primary thing. Then that's a worldly philosopher. He, uh, he also said that, that popular opinion is the greatest lie in the world. And that's true too. If something is, is of primary importance, it means it's uh, the most important thing. And faith is the primary thing. Uh, the word that's translated faith in our Bibles, uh, pistis, it means a number of things. It means to trust and obey the Lord. It also means knowledge based on evidence. It's also a system of conclusions. And that would be, it's a systemic, systemic thing. And, and those of us in this room, particularly the adult class in the vacation Bible school, you know all the passages that pertain to faith. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11, 1. And verse 6 of Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. John uh, chapter 8 and verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth is that which creates the faith, 
and it makes you free. So we have all these passages. We walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans that uh, faith saves us. Of course, it doesn't save us alone, but in another sense, it does save us because it encapsulates all the rest of that which we do. But for our lesson tonight, I just wanted us to think about faith as the primary thing from uh, three perspectives. And number one, uh, where does this primary thing come from? Do we just believe? Do we have blind faith? Do, are we taking a leap in the dark? Or what? How is it that we come to believe what we believe? Well, um, when you end up believing what we believe, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was that great confession in Matthew 16. So we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Why do we believe that? I mean, obviously you believe it, you wouldn't be here. I believe it, I wouldn't be here. We, we believe it because there is adequate and compelling evidence to believe that. We are held responsible by God when he provides for us evidence to draw a proper conclusion. The conclusion from the evidence that he provides for us in the world and in the Bible is that Jesus is the Christ. Now there's, you know, the, the different elements of the evidence. For instance, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. How did God show it to people who didn't believe in Him? How did God show what He says He showed? He showed it in this world. The text says, For the invisible things of Him, that is God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, I got here a little early tonight, so I parked over here next to where you could see the pond. And you could see the white bird over there. You see these other little bird families over there, the way they look out for each other. And you think, now there you go. There is evidence right before my eyes, right here, just before I go into this building to talk about this subject. Evidence of God's creative power. Now, you know, we all know that there is a substantial set of argumentation laid before us almost every day from every source and media that says, no, no, no. We just are here uh, as a result of a series of happy accidents. We just happen to be in the right place at the right time. A friend of mine over at Hob Street was teaching a lesson, um, and I didn't get to hear it, but he told me about it. He was talking, he was going to do a lesson on the moon. On the moon. 
And, you know, this is one of those guys that work, like a lot of people in our whole area, they work in Huntsville, you know, they work with the computers, they work with the space stuff, they work with the military stuff and all that, you know. And some of you probably do that or have done it. And uh, the point of his lesson was that anybody who examines uh, physics in terms of outer space and so forth will tell you that if the moon wasn't exactly where it is right now, and always and has been since creation, that none of what we do would be possible. You know, the, the fact that it's there, people say, well, not, you know, it just worked out that way, and we benefit from that, that accident of, uh, uh, you know, the Big Bang or whatever they want to say it is. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. And you know all those arguments for the existence of God and one of the easiest ones to understand is the, is the argument from design. If you look at the universe, it's obviously design. It wasn't that long ago. I don't know. I got into it. I know that they're shooting stuff up there all the time. But they had to, they had to get some supplies to the space station. Remember that? You know, we got some, you know we're trying to get away from these hired rockets and get back to having some that we, that we can control ourselves. But anyway... They shot a rocket ship. I like calling them rocket ships because when I was a kid, I was a big fan of rocket ships. You know. Flash Gordon. That was the fakiest rocket ship in the world, if any of you all remember that television. But anyway, they shot a rocket ship from here. And you know where it ended up? At the door of the space station. Now, how'd they do that? Man, that's how they did that. Two plus two is four. Always has been, always will be. And all of math, you know, is, you know, explosion of that. They did that because the universe operates according to the design. And you can become aware of that design. And by being aware of that design, you can manipulate our actions and motions to where you can shoot a rocket from... California or Florida or anywhere and have it go to the door of a spaceship that's moving itself. It's, one, it's not that it's sitting up there saying, hit me. It's, it's moving itself with people in it. Evidence. Romans chapter 1. Now, and he, in Romans chapter 1, it goes on to, to make the point that it's absolutely a ridiculous set of circumstances to look at the evidence that's in the world about God and rejecting. And if somebody does that, and we love everybody, and I know there are a lot of people that have been fooled by the propaganda of the devil. First, you know, as Peter said, your adversary, the devil's walking about seeking whom he may devour. For Peter five eight. I know people have been fooled by that, but and it's sad that that's happened. But the evidence of the reality of the existence of God, faith, the evidence for faith, is there, and that's the general evidence that's in the world. And then there's the specific evidence that we have from God's word about the things that the Bible depicts as happening that are faith-building things. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite passages for this subject, where Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory of what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Isn't that why we're here? Christ died. Fellow stood up here with Jesus, you know. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Why did Paul say according to the Scriptures? These people didn't have a New Testament. These people, I don't know that they had very much in terms of, they, they, they probably heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they, had, they didn't have it bound up like we do. That's for us, according to the Scriptures. And then he said it was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren once, of whom the greater part remained of this present. Some are fallen asleep. Then he was seen of James, the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time, Paul said. Now listen. Who was, who was uh, on Jesus' side in the first century? Was there a whole lot of people on his side? No. No, they weren't. The Jews weren't on his side. Now, the remnant was. You know, people like uh, John the Baptist's parents and Simeon and Anna, people like that. And, and Jesus is, you know, Mary and Joseph. They were on his side. And ultimately, of course, more and more people got to be on his side. But there's a whole, the whole world was against him. But yet here we are. And I passed two or three congregations on the way down here. Uh, the end, not, of course, we, we're, those of us in churches of Christ, we're trying to go by the ancient pattern, 2 Timothy 1.13, pattern reveal. We're trying to follow that pattern. So we are, we are probably a little different than most people are. Certainly we are. But there are a lot of people who believe in Jesus. Why do they believe in him? They believe in him because of evidence. And the influence of Christianity. Christianity. There's New Testament Christianity. There's the truth. And then there's the Christian influence that's outside of the truth. The historical Christianity. None of that would be here if they could have proved that Jesus was not raised from the dead. And they couldn't prove it because he was raised from the dead. And the fact of his resurrection is what puts us together here. So there's evidence. There's evidence in the world. There's evidence from God's Word. And what's the importance of this primary thing called faith? What's the importance of it? Well, it's absolutely important. It's essential, isn't it? It's essential. That's what, that's what uh, Hebrews 11.6 is about where it says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. What does the word impossible mean? It can't be done. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because you've got to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, uh, this is a fascinating concept. It's, it's an amazing thing to think that 
Coming to believe that Jesus is the Christ changes people. You know, you know what folks do? What do folks do? What's the answer? What they want to do. Is that not right? People say, well, what, what do we do? We do what we want to do, don't we? See, the trick is to get yourself to a place in life where you're doing what you want to do, and what you want to do happens to be the right thing to do. That's the thing. That's the whole thing. And faith is essential in that situation. Believing that Jesus is the Christ, uh, trusting God. See, faith has the concept of believing based on evidence, has also the concept of trusting God and doing God's will. It has the, the, uh, the, the concept of, of uh, having uh, an awareness of the system of faith that's revealed on the pages of God's Word. There's a system there. And somebody says, what do you mean system? Well, let's just take an example that we all know. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. That's the plan of salvation. It's a simple thing, right? And we use that five-finger exercise because it's easy to communicate to people. And it's a simple thing. It's a system. It's a system. Why do systems work with people? Because God made people. God made our minds so that we could fit our minds with whatever system He's revealed. Just like the system that allows the fellas to shoot the rocket and hit the space shuttle. That's a system. That's a system. Ginger and I watched the movie again the other night, one of her favorite movies, about the black girls that uh, were on the computer. They, were, they called them the computers back in the day, uh, the early days of NASA over there. And how that uh, even when they got real computers, they still had to have them because they were human beings that had, that, uh, had figured out that the, their way to success in life was to use their brains in this mathematical world. It's a system. And God made us so we could deal with that. He made us systematic beings. And have you ever seen people, people say, have you seen what so-and-so did? Have you seen that just, do, as we say around here. I know it's not correct grammatically. But you know what they did just don't make sense. You ever heard anybody say that about somebody? I heard it said about me. That just don't make sense. That's the way people, that's the way people sometimes are. But we recognize it. What if somebody acts in a fashion that's against their own self-interest? We realize that does not make sense. It's not, it's not a rational thing to do. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, uh, we walk by faith and not by sight. The guiding in our lives, the guiding force in our lives is faith. And it really is for everybody. Now, somebody's, a lot of people don't have the right faith. And some people have mutilated faith and some people have false faith. But everybody operates by faith. Everybody operates by faith. 
The thing is to operate by the faith that is revealed in God's book. We walk by faith and not by sight. So many people trying to operate by sight, we can't do that. It just won't work. And then what's the scope of activity and application of this primary thing called faith? The thing that uh, that philosopher said, uh, the thing that uh, determines all the rest. If you think about it, your faith determines everything else you do. Your faith in God determines everything else you do. Well, what's the application of this principle? Well, it's an application that, that applies everywhere and every day. Every single day and every single place. Our faith is a set of conclusions and a system by which we choose to live our lives. I've, I've probably told you this before in the times that I've been here, but I look at, I look at the ideas that are revealed in God's book, the, the thoughts, the doctrines, the teachings that are revealed in God's book that have, and properly applied have an impact on our lives. I look at those as, as being in sets, like numbers are in sets sometimes, you know, when you're doing different formulas and so forth. And our faith is a set of conclusions that results in being a system by which we choose to live. And it informs us three ways. First of all, in terms of specific ideas about things. You know what we're worried about today? I'm worried about it. There are people in this world who don't know what a baby is when a baby is born. They don't know if the baby is a boy or a girl. It's the craziest thing I've ever thought. I never thought. In, in my worst heathen mind, back in before I was a Christian, I never thought people would get confused about what makes a boy or what makes a girl. I was present at the birth of my sons. There was no doubt when they were born, they were boys. I was uh, close to present. My granddaughter was born. No doubt she's a little girl. Nobody had to do any examination further than that. They certainly didn't need to wait around until the kid decided what they were going to be because those decisions, my dear friends, this whole LBGTQ, whatever it is, how many letters... All that business, that trans business, is a bunch of malarkey. Of course, if you take a young, impressionable child and put him with somebody, or her with somebody, who tells them, you know, you're not really born, you're not really the way you're born, you be whatever you want to be. If you tell them long enough, and particularly if they care about you and love you, and they're dependent upon you, it's going to mess every kid up in the world that has to go through that sort of thing. And, uh, just look. Just look. That's all you have to do. I was watching a little clip on the YouTube. I mean, you know, that can be dangerous. 
But I was looking at a little clip on the YouTube. Sometimes you see things you wish you hadn't seen. Can't get out of it fast enough. I was looking at one little clip. had Mr. Rogers on there. Now, my boys love Mr. Rogers. And my younger boy got to work in, was working in Pittsburgh right down the street. He was working at a funeral home right down the street from where Mr. Rogers lived. But Mr. Rogers, you know, my older boy, he'd say, you know, Daddy, Mr. Rogers is my friend. So I watched a lot of Mr. Rogers to see if Mr. Rogers, was, you know, in his area was, was making sense. He needed, but he had a, there's a little clip on YouTube where he sings this song to kids. He says, now, if you're, if when you're born, if you're a boy, you're a boy. If you're born, if you're a little girl, you're a girl. You were made that way. You know, he's got a beautiful song. He sings a little bit better than me. And, and, but the point is, uh, folks, this is the world we live in. And it's a world that is antithetical to faith and systems of faith. And I thank God we have vacation Bible school and other things to be able to teach our children what's right. So faith every day, everywhere informs our ideas about specific things. And it informs our general beliefs and convictions. Occasionally you'll hear about ethnic cleansing. We've got some social problems in a country, in a place. What are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to kill everybody that's in that group. Can that ever be good? Those of us who are informed by faith will say, no. They may be terrible people. But you're not going to solve a problem by committing mass murder. We've got some missionaries in Africa that uh, are in Ghana, northern Ghana, pretty peaceful area. But in Nigeria next door, uh, there's certain parts of that huge country, which, by the way, has a lot of Christians in it. Nigeria does, Ghana does. I'm talking about Christians like you and me, worship the same way. But there's people over there who, who believe that. Here's a group of folks. Here's what we're going to do for those folks. We don't like the way they are, so we're going to kill all of them. And you go back to the Holocaust associated with Nazi Germany in World War II. And this is a metaphysical question. Is that ever good? So no. No, because faith informs that sort of thing. But it also informs everyday things. Like, uh, is, is, it ever, is it ever good to say a hurtful thing about somebody else just to kind of get them? That never happens here, I'm sure. I mean, I don't expect it to happen very much. But I've seen folks, younger folks, older folks, who get upset themselves and what they think they're going to do about that is to say something that hurts. They feel hurt. So what are you going to do? Hurt you back. What would Jesus say to do? How many times? What does 70 times 70 really mean? Infinity. What it really means. Just because somebody hurts you, you don't hurt them back. Now faith informs that decision. These really important things about this life. What do you think is important in this life? I told you, I mentioned to you 
I was talking to somebody, and I can't remember exactly the context, but since I got here, I was telling you about uh, Ginger being in the hospital this week. Uh, well, actually, first of la first, well, a week ago today. And we went to the hospital in Athens, and they, they drove her over to Huntsville Hospital because it's the heart center over there. <laughs> yeah. and so it's kind of funny. No, it's not funny. But it's kind of funny. Things happen that are funny. The, the fellows came to, to put her in the uh, ambulance, and uh, it's two big old ambulance men, you know. And one of them said, now, ma'am, I want to tell you, you're fixing to ride in a truck. This is a truck. This is not a nice ride. You're going to feel every bump between here and the hospital hospital. And so she told me, she said, and that fellow was absolutely right. So we got, we got over there, and uh, at first they thought it was some perilous problem that she was having with her heart. Then they said, no, we think it's something that we can handle. And it's all electrical, you know, what's going on. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, I can't do without her. We've been together 47 years as, as married people, and a little while... It took me about a year and a half to talk her into marrying me, which you're thinking, well, that makes sense. But anyway, I don't want to do without that girl. I know there are a lot of wonderful women in the world, but I don't care. That's, that's, and, I, and I got to thinking about this, and I said, well, what, what you going to do? Of course, it worked out fine. She's home. She's just fine and, and, and doing well. But... From the point of view of faith, I could handle that because I know that her spiritual life has been wrapped up in one thing, and that's doing the will of God. And of course, if she hadn't been that way, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But the fact is, uh, what do you really think is important about life? Relationship. And the relationship, number one, with God, with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and then with people in our lives. Now, Christian faith answers these questions in rather specific ways. Faith is the primary thing. Everybody operates out of some sort of system or worldview. It's the same world out there for everybody. I'm not, I mean, not everybody doesn't live in, in this county in North Alabama. But it's the same world out there. And it's what you think about it. It's what I think about this world that makes me unique, makes me me, makes you you. To think about what, what impression this world makes on us. I was uh, watching a video of, uh, I told you, uh, some of my family is, is over in Scotland and they've got these little dogs and a bunch of sheep, big fat sheep. And those dogs just make those sheep, they just, they makes them 
move like they were water being poured out of a pitcher into a tray. Sheep just move almost as one from one place to another. What do you think about that? You say, well, isn't that cool? They, they trained that dog, and then they trained those sheep to do that so they can control those sheep in those environments that they're in. Well, that's true. Uh, how does that work? How did it happen that you have a dog that can deal with that? Now, listen, I've had some dumb dogs. You couldn't make them. They might eat a sheep, but they would never be able to herd a sheep. I had a dog in LaGrange, Georgia. I lived in, they call it the preacher's house, but it's really the church's house that the preacher lives in so that you can move him along whenever it's necessary. But uh, I came home one day, and that dog had pulled every bit of vinyl siding off the back of that house. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, that dog could not be trained to herd sheep. But there are dogs that can be. And they can herd cows. They can do just about anything. How do you get that? has to be God. The thing had to be created with the ability to be trained to do that. How do you, how do you end up being able to train a dog like that? You have to have the mental acuity to train the dog to do that. And then even get down to the sheep. I understand that sheep may not be the brightest ones around, animal-wise. But they end, up that it, they end up understanding that it pays them to go where the dog sends them. None of that's accidental. None of that's accidental. It's a, it's a reflection of the system that God has put in place. How is it that I could, I could go with my wife to the hospital and they say, listen, here's the problem. The signal that makes her heart beat, instead of coming down in the top, the atrial area, where she's had surgery on that before anyway, instead of coming down there, what it's doing and going straight down and making that heart beat the way it's supposed to be, what it's doing, it's coming down and it's going out to this side, and then it'll broaden out and go over here, and then, how did... Now, they didn't open her up. Not this time. She has been opened up, but how did they do that? They, they have examined human beings for long enough with the proper tools to become aware of the system that's in place it makes the heart beat. They just become, you know, and they say, and they told me, he said, now you can see it on the screen. You can see it on the screen. Well, they just kept looking and looking and looking until they figured something out. They gave her some medicine. First dose of that medicine, that old heart just calmed right down. That, you know, it's going to take a while, but the point is, what is that, folks? That's another system that's an argument for faith. Because there's no way 
that there could have been a system, and that's just one system. We got so many systems. Photosynthesis, you know, plant life, that sort of thing. How does any of that occur without having been designed? And then you add to the natural world's uh, information along that line. And then you look to God's word and you read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he says, how do you know that? By faith. Faith that comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And then if you pushed on that issue, add this element. There is no other explanation. There is no other explanation. So they said, oh no, the evolutionists have told us it's just a matter of time and all of that. Okay. Okay. Now, there's one more thing and then I'm going to leave this for you because I think we're close to out of time. And I know you all know this because everybody in here is smart. You've been coming to Bible school all your life. The reason that the naturalists are able to sell their point of view is that they do not inform the hearers that the primary assumption upon which every evolutionist, naturalist, Carl Sagan, the whole bunch, the primary assumption that they are basing everything on is the assumption of a steady state. The assumption is that everything has always aged, gotten older, at the same rate that it is now aging and getting older. The assumption is that in the past, everything aged the same speed and rate as it does now. Now what's wrong with that assumption of steady state? There's no way to know that because you can't go back in the past. Now, if you read Mark Twain, you can get in a time machine and go back in the past, but you can't. If you, if you get a DeLorean that's properly equipped, maybe you can go back, in, but you can't. The fact is, if you remove the assumption of steady state, the only answer for everything we are and have is God and his creative ability. The fact that, according to the book of Hebrews, that he spoke the world into existence and that he continues to maintain it by the word of his power. Now, thank you for your kind attention. And uh, David said, if I let you go a little bit earlier, you'd, you'd like me better. <laughs> so thank you, and you'll be dismissed until, and do whatever we do next. <laughs>